0: Well, welcome to service. Uh, what a blessing it is to be able to worship God. And, and I just think as he is up in heaven listening to the praises from all over the place, how that must feel to him, the Bible describes it as a sweet odor of an offering to him. Um, let's open with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to praise you and to worship you, to learn together about your word. I just pray that you would touch each person in their homes, in their offices, in their cars, wherever it is that they are watching from. Lord, I just pray your blessing on them, on the home that they are a part of and the family that they represent. In Jesus' name, we pray your blessing on this service. I pray that it would be your words that are spoken, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, the mere fact that you're here watching uh, tonight's live broadcast is evidence that you're aware how strange and peculiar things are. And if you just happen to be catching this from someplace else, this is Michigan uh, right now where we are on, like, quarantine, lockdown, schools are closed, restaurants are closed, uh, grocery stores are out of most of the things that people want to get. Um, It is quite an experience. And the facts of the situation are the same for all of us, but the experience is very different. Uh, It reminds me of a few years ago, um, my son, I believe he was either seven at the time, um, he was at a stage where he was very cautious, um, easily concerned, you might say. In fact, um, at that time, uh, he wanted to go to Disney, and after discovering that Disney was in Florida, and Florida is where crocodiles live, he decided he didn't want to go to Disney anymore uh, because that just seemed so concerning. And so he was at a point when when it was easy for him to get very concerned about things. Well, he was in the back of the car with me and we were driving down a road uh, in Hudsonville and we're coming along and there was a stop sign. And a fella who, uh, at 21, had just gotten his driver's license the month prior, came to a stop sign that he had. I did not have a stop sign. He had a stop sign. He stopped behind the stop sign, but from there, he couldn't see the road. And then he just started forward. And he pulled out, and when he saw me, he described it later. He said, what I tried to do was speed up fast enough that I could get past the intersection. Well, he wasn't driving a sports car and that didn't work. So he pulled out, and I had only enough time to decide which part of his car to hit, whether to hit the driver's door or the rear quarter. And I turned to hit the rear quarter panel, and we sp- hit that car at full 55 miles an hour. That car went spinning around through off to the side of the road um, and we we, came, we continued in our lane actually and pulled over into the first uh, driveway that was there and I turned to my son who was in the first major accident of his life and I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah. And, and then I said, do you want to go see what happened to the car? And, and he's like, yeah, and we got out and, and we looked around and we, we called the police and they came and we took pictures with the policeman and he had a very positive uh, experience, not afraid at all. And it reminds me how sometimes what, <laughs> what is more important than what happens is how we respond. And so I'm asking you from your place, how are you responding to the situation right now? You might be a person who's upset, complaining, frustrated. Oh, man, why is this overreaction happening? Or you might be on the other side where you're, say, you're hunkered down and in fear, feeling like every sneeze is a death sentence and wondering why everybody isn't as taking it as seriously as you are. And... Each person is experiencing the same situation, but totally differently. And I hear a lot of people talking about 1 Timothy uh, 1.7, says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And that's true, absolutely. Bible also says in Matthew 10.16, it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as as doves, And so day at day, I want to talk about the correct attitude as Christians, as we experience this uh, situation that for most of us, we've never experienced before. And we know that attitude is a big thing. There are plenty of famous quotes that I could list. Winston Churchill is famous for saying, attitude is a very little thing that makes a big difference. Um, Maya Angelou said, if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude. Um, Philippians chapter four, thirteen. Paul talks to us and he says, I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, most of us are pretty familiar with the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I often say that you can find on a kitchen towel. You can put that up. We, we see it often. But how many of us realized that it was said in the context of being content in difficult situations? You see, we are in a difficult situation. We're, we're trying to make a difference. We're trying, as they commonly say, to flatten the curve. We're trying to keep as uh, unwidespread as possible this virus, and we're being told by the government to stay home. And the attitude that we have is so important. Scripture says in 1 John 4:4, it says, Dear children are from God. And have overcome them because the one who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. We remember that we don't need to fear because God is in us. And God tells us in Philippians 4.18, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Some of you are thinking, well, that's easier said than done. And, and I agree with you. Uh, it really depends on your situation. I, I like the saying that says a recession is when your neighbor loses their job. A depression is when you lose your job. And we look at some of these situations and we may say, well, it's a crisis. How big of a crisis often depends on how close it is to you. Um, It's interesting, my son, one of my kids, when they heard that school was closed, his response was, well, this will be kind of fun because even if something happens, as as a young, healthy person, I'm probably not going to get sick anyway. That is not badly. He understood that if he was to get sick, statistically, he's not in high risk of it being fatal. But if you are one of those people, who are in the demographic that is immunocompromised, then it feels very, very different to you. And your perspective is going to be very, very different. The Bible has a lot to say about how, as Christians, we are to handle situations that don't seem to affect us. Luke chapter 10 says, On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? (laughs) That is a powerful question. Who is my neighbor? You see, in this situation with coronavirus, with all of this, that is a question that we need to ask ourselves. Who is my neighbor? Because if your neighbor is just your neighbor, you might look next door and say, well, hey, it's a healthy family. They're all within the ages of of 20 to, to 40. I think that they're fine it's easy to think of it that way but what about the 3.5% of the population who are immunocompromised are they also our neighbor Matthew 25 verse 40 says the king will reply to you truly I say to you whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters you did it for me the least we think of as applying to the quality of that person, the least being the most outcast. But what about numerically the few? Are we expected as Christians to react on behalf of the few or just the many? When we respond to what's going on around us, it's a response. God says that when we respond for those few, he, res- he feels as though we're responding to him. We know the rest of the story of the, the good Samaritan. He had fallen on the road, attacked by thieves, and then a priest comes by in verse 31. And it says a priest happened down the same road, saw the, the, the man who had fallen on the side, and he passed by. And he said, saw that man, he passed by. Then a Levite came, and he passed by. But a Samaritan, which was the most unlikely. And I I always want to pause and consider, God could have referenced any group of people. He could have referenced priests, which he did, or he could have referenced farmers. He could have referenced um, politicians. But he chose two people both of whom were part of the church. And I think he did that on purpose because he didn't want us in later generations to look and say, it doesn't apply to me. The priest was supposed to represent the church, but he did a poor job. The Levite also was supposed to represent the church, but he didn't. And as we look as Christians, what does society look at and see from us? when they are in need, when our neighbors, whether they're our next-door neighbors or not, but when the people who need us in this time look and see the church's reaction, do they see that we take them seriously, that we are being a good neighbor? The parable of the Good Samaritan ends with the Samaritan coming he took pity on the man that was laying there. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil on him. He brought him, put him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Verse 35 says, the next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. In verse 36, Jesus says, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? And the experts in the law said, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus replied, go and do likewise. As Christians, we are called to see the few who are in need. And God says, respond. Be willing to be inconvenienced for them. I recently heard a story. Uh, by from a man named ken ken caldwell he works with my wife Uh, he's a triathlete and he was telling a story about a time when he was riding his bike out on a solitary road in kansas he had chosen this road specifically as a cyclist because it had very few cars and he's riding early in the morning and he's driving down that path and some a car coming at him fell asleep at the wheel and right as that car came in line with him, that it swerved right over. He didn't have time to avoid. He was hit. It broke both of his legs, one of his arms. And he said, I remember coming to, laying in the middle of the road and trying to move my my extremities and realizing my legs didn't work, my arm didn't work. I had one hand that I could use. And I heard another vehicle coming. And I thought, I'm in the road. and And... I don't know if they'll see me. And he tried to lift himself up so that he'd be more visible. And the car went past. And he laid back and he remembers hearing another vehicle come. And he tried to lift himself up, but his strength gave out and he fell back. And he says, then he pushed himself back up when he heard the car slowing down. And he remembers that that he looked over. And that person had slowed down, looked over at him. He said, I I saw it was a woman. She was dressed for work. He says, I remember looking in her eyes. She had green eyes. And I thought, yes, I'm going to get help. And then she drove on. And he passed out. And he says the next thing he remembered was waking up in a hospital. Another vehicle had obviously stopped at some point. And he was approached by the police after a little while. They asked for his statement of what happened. And he said, one of my first questions was, why? Why didn't the other car stop? The other cars. And the policeman said, you know, obviously I don't know the exact situation. He said, but this happens to us all the time. He said, we often find that the first or second or third vehicle that comes just continues on. And I can't answer why, although I suspect it's because they're afraid of what might happen in their lives. They're afraid of being late for work. They're afraid of of getting engaged and, and not knowing exactly what to do. He said, mostly they're afraid for themselves. And so they continue. And the question that it obviously brings up is... What about my situation? You see, there's. do we have that same attitude? Do we think, well, I'm afraid to make a difference for that few who might need me because it's going to inconvenience me. I want to encourage you as we're facing this situation, as we're being quarantined, as you're avoiding... Uh, Your favorite restaurants as you're doing those things think about it in those terms recognize that you are helping those Who are in need here are some truths to remember first off We have all been at one time or another the person on the road You've been that person on the road. I remember a time in Mexico I was a missionary there. I was living um, in Saltillo at the time, and I was driving back from another part of Mexico late at night uh, through the desert. And when I say through the desert, I mean through just no man's land. There's large sections of land where there's nobody there. And in the middle of the night, this can actually be a dangerous place. On a previous trip, I was driving through, and I'm just cruising along, and I remember just driving, and I thought I saw like a bird just fly into my, my sight. And it, I heard a thump, a really loud thump. And I thought, oh, surely I just, I just hit a hawk or an owl or something. And I just continued on. When I got to where I was going, Uh, I went around to the front of my car to see, you know, hey, if there was still feathers or maybe the entire bird would still be stuck in the front. And what had actually happened is on the front slope of of my hood, there was a giant dent that was caved in about five or six inches and scrapes across. It wasn't a bird. It was a rock. Some thieves had stood on, gotten in that desolate area where nobody travels and had tried to throw a rock through my windshield thinking that if I would slow down to stop, then they would have been a few hundred yards up to steal. And this is the type of, of thing that was unfortunately common in that area. So it's one o'clock in the morning, and my car breaks down. And I know that this is not the type of place where you're supposed to slow down and help. Um, but I have no other I remember I remember had I one of the Nokia phones this is when cell phones were getting popular but not as popular as they are now I had a little Nokia phone and those uh well they're durable and they had good signal but I could not get any signal I remember climbing on the roof of my car and waving that thing up and around and trying to see if I could get any signal whatsoever nothing and a truck driver stopped Didn't have to. When he did that, he was risking himself because it was, as I mentioned, it was a common thing for thieves to be uh, posing as uh, troubled motorists or doing different things there. He picked me up. When is a time that you have needed help and someone did that? And the second thing is, we will all see someone sometime on the road. And when that happens, what will our choice be? do we pass by or do we slow down and help? My encouragement to you is ask the Holy Spirit. Ask Him when it's the right time to slow down. But it's interesting that If you've ever heard stories about people who helped in a moment of need, have you ever noticed they usually, the hero stories usually happen without thinking about it. I just leapt forward and I did that and they took action. There's different stories. I recently heard a story about a a young boy who was on a four-story apartment, and he was, the kid was hanging off the balcony, and someone walking by actually climbed the balcony up to, to get to him without stopping, without thinking about it. And people asked, well, wh- how did you do that? What did, why did you do that? He said, I didn't even think about it. And over and over and over we hear, because I didn't think about it. But the truth is that it's a choice we make ahead of time. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6 verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You and I are Christians. Our hearts are to be full of the love of Christ. And when we are full of God's word, when a situation comes, that is when We're ready. We're ready to pounce. We act not based on what we thought. We act based on what we filled our heart with. My mom used to use the example of a sponge. She says, if you have a sponge with water in it or or soapy water or dirty water, if you press it against a wall, whatever's in it will come out. And that's the picture that I see of us. When we're in a situation, when we have an opportunity, typically, it's not even the choice I make in that moment, but it's the choice I made earlier to fill my heart with God's love, with a, a Christian approach, and that is what will be ready. It says It's the choices about priorities and values that you make before the moment that make you a good neighbor or even, in some cases, a hero. 1 John 4.20 says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen wow as as, as i think about that it it makes me totally reevaluate the situation and i look at the 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 headlines and I look at the the quarantine mandates and instead of thinking, how does this affect me? I think, how does this affect the people whose lives are truly on the line? I'm fortunate that my own wife and kids are healthy. But what about My parents, my in-laws, my friends, what about you? What about your in-laws and your friends and your family and your neighbors, parents and grandparents? And we look at that and I think, how can I say that I love God if I don't love those people enough to take and restrict my own activities, for their benefit, even if it's not for mine. It's interesting, as, as we close, I've got a little bit of extra time, so I'm going to, to mention um, what the Bible says about the government. Romans chapter 13, 1 says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist, they have been established by God. We're in a unique situation. We're in a unique country. As Americans, we're not accustomed to living our lives thinking about what did the government say? I've had the privilege of ministering in other uh, countries in communist regimes and different places where where what the government says to do, what the government allows you to do is a constant presence. To us, it's not. We're accustomed to just going about our lives with the freedom that God has given us in this country. And when situation like this comes, it's very different. I I spoke to someone recently whose brother is uh, living in China. And he said that they were experiencing strict sanctions and all of these quarantines. And he said, you know, he said, here, people are used to being told what to do by the government. But if this was to happen in America, I don't think people would respond very well. They are not accustomed to this. And there's truth to that. There is very much truth to that. As Christians, however, the Bible tells us that we are to submit. Now, I like to think about the verse in Matthew 5. It says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person, even or if one slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. And if you anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. When we hear that, we think, well. If someone asks you to go one mile, go two. That that just seems like a random question that someone might ask you. But to the people listening that day, they all knew the Roman law. And the Roman law allowed the Roman soldiers to grab anyone they wanted and mandate them to carry their belongings for a mile. So when Jesus gave that example, he just wasn't pulling an example out of a hat. He was literally referring to uh, government mandates. He said, listen, when a government representative demands of you this, comply. Comply, in fact, go the extra mile. Let's consider how God would want us to respond. Now, Acts 5, 29 has the balance. Peter said, and the other apostles replied, we... um, We must obey God rather than human beings. Of course, if there's a situation when the government says, don't worship, we worship. Daniel was a good example. When it became illegal for him to pray to God, he prayed to God anyway. Here, um, Peter says, if I have to choose between obeying God and obeying the government, I will obey God every time. And that's the right thing. But when it's not a choice between obeying or disobeying God, God says, have respect for those governing authorities. And I want to encourage you guys uh, in this time, and I'm encouraging myself, because believe me, it's, it's not my favorite either. But when I look into Scripture and I see what it says, I am challenged that I need to be intentional about my attitude. It's not just my physical compliance that matters, it's my attitude. And the witness that I give to others. Because as I comply, I am helping my neighbor. I am being a good Samaritan in a way. I want to close with Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. It says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Oh, that's a profound scripture. And I think it applies today. As we see lots of fear about, well, what if? What if the virus and what if I get sick and what if I die? And God says, "You know, it is so much more powerful, so much more important to be concerned about your soul." than it is to be concerned about your body. Because even in the worst case scenario, even if something or someone does come and kill your body, that's nothing compared to what can kill your soul. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of Jesus Christ so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? If you're here watching this video, and you know that you have eternal life, I am so happy for you. If you're listening and you say to yourself, well, how could I know? I mean, I hope I do, but I don't know. Scripture clearly says you can know. Romans verse 10 or chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the sin that has you separated from him. Verse 10 says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess faith, and you are saved. As we close tonight, I want to give you the opportunity, if you're watching and you want to know that you are saved, to do exactly what that verse says. So we're going to say a prayer and I'm going to ask that you repeat it after me. And if you confess these words and believe them in your heart, that scripture has just promised you that you will know you have eternal life. Say it with me. Say, dear God, I believe that you sent Jesus who lived a perfect life, did not deserve sin, did not deserve death died on that cross for me and that he then rose from the dead I accept the forgiveness of sin and I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus name amen amen